Hey everyone, and welcome to Ask Shane Anything. Now, I hadn't planned on recording this episode today. In fact, right now, I should be streaming Game Face live on Twitch for all you guys. However, I just got home and the power went out at Matt's house. And the electric company said that they weren't going to be able to get the power back up until like 4 p.m., which is when the show normally ends. So we've rescheduled the live stream of Game Face for tomorrow, Wednesday, at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. So you may be watching this and we may be about ready to go on. Or you may watch this after Game Face has already went live. However, I am here to record Ask Chain Anything. Now, this show is a reward for all our patrons. Everybody gets to watch it on day one, but if you want to ask questions, you have to pledge to at least $7 a month or more, and then you can get involved. So if you're interested, head to patreon.com sifted, bump up that pledge, and ask me a question, and I promise you, I will answer it. Our first question today comes from Van Halen, 619. Hey Shane, I still purchase physical media, including video games. I've been on the fence to switch over to digital for a couple of years now, what are some pros and cons to digital only? Should I wait to switch to digital or make the switch as soon as possible? Oh, the eternal debate between physical or digital media. And this isn't a conversation you just have about video games. At least I don't. I, I still like to buy my music in physical form. I know all you kids love the Spotify and you pay that monthly charge. I don't even belong to Spotify. I don't even have an account on Spotify. I listen to all my music off of CDs or I pay for the files. Um, so I own all my music and I have like 80 gigs of music, something ridiculous. And I haven't even like digitized all my house vinyl. In fact, I've only digitized probably like 5% of my house vinyl. So I have tons of music and I'm not a member of Spotify. However, that also carries over to video games. I still and physical only with video games. I don't buy anything digital unless I have to. Now I have a lot of digital games because most publishers, in fact, pretty much all publishers at this point, when they send out review code, they send you a download code. They don't send out a physical game like they used to, which used to be great because it was a great way to build my physical library for whatever platform was in vogue at the time. Uh, that doesn't happen anymore. So I do have a huge digital library, of course, you know, free PSN games every month. Those are all digital Xbox Live games that you get for free. Those are all digital. So I have a huge digital library, but the games that I buy myself, I still buy physical. Why? There's a lot of reasons. One, some of them actually turn into valuable items to own. There's a lot of old games that I bought at 40 or 50 bucks that are now worth hundreds of dollars. So that's one part of it. Although I will say this, my plan and my plot to like sell all my gaming stuff when I retire and make a big chunk of money off of it, I don't think that's gonna work out as well as I had initially thought it would. Now I do realize during the pandemic, prices for GameCube games and stuff like that went way up and uh, they've actually kind of stayed high after the pandemic now that we're kind of in post pandemic. So that helped, but still like, I guess I'll put it to you this way. Collecting video games is not a good retirement plan. I'll put it to you that way. So make sure you're covering your butt with other ways to retire. Your video game collection is not going to get it done. So anyway, there is some value to having physical games that you can resell. Now, another thing that works is you can loan games to people. So Matt didn't feel comfortable paying money for Hogwarts Legacy. I loaned him my copy and now he can play it for free and he can play it guilt-free. Um, so there are advantages to physical. Meaning now the disadvantages are you're taking up a bunch of space with stuff that you wouldn't have to. And I do, I understand Gen Z, for example, and how they look at things. They're like, you know what? I could 
rent a much smaller apartment and be okay with it because I don't have a bunch of stuff. And most of the stuff that I have are related to games. So I have like peripherals and controllers and games and all this stuff jammed everywhere. There's that bed behind me right now. There underneath that are bins and bins of video game stuff that I haven't actually been under there in like a year and a half or two years. I don't want to go under there right now. So it does take up space to build physical whatever. If you collect anything, it's going to take up space. So if you're Gen Z and you're like, ah, you know, I would prefer to get away with paying less rent because and get a smaller part. I totally get it. I understand the aesthetic of walking into your living space and there being no clutter. I'm all about that. So if I didn't have closets, I would probably look at physical media a lot differently. I don't have an OCD, but I do like my place to be clean and neat and organized. And when you're collecting stuff, it's really hard to do that. You're trying to hide it all the time. And I live in an apartment and I've pretty much run out of space to hide stuff. So it's a, it's a conundrum and I can understand both sides and I am still a physical guy and I probably will stay a physical guy for the reasons I just mentioned. Now, you, I don't know how old you are. I don't know how much stuff you've collected, Van Halen 619. Um, you could be at a place where you haven't really collected anything and you're like, I don't have a collection, so I'm not married to it, so it doesn't really matter to me. I think I would probably say, if that's the case, you should probably go digital, man. Because I don't really think that a lot of the games that I'm buying right now are going to be worth a lot of money someday. Like, I have a library of, like, 25 PlayStation 5 games at this point. Do I think any of those are going to be worth a lot of money? Probably not. When I go to retire in 20 years or whenever it is, I don't think any of those games... Some of those games will be worth less than what I've paid for them at retail. I think most of them probably will be, actually. Um, So, if I were... In your shoes, and I do believe in your shoes, I mean, you don't already have a gigantic collection. I would probably just go digital, honestly. Um, You do all have something to sell, but, like, I don't really try to sell my games that often. I did try to sell um, the latest Sonic game over the holidays because I had paid 70 bucks for it or whatever, and I finished it, and I'm like, I'm never going to play this again because I didn't really like it all that much. I was like, okay, I'll sell this. You know, maybe I'll get 40 or 50 bucks. I couldn't even sell it. Literally, I think I dropped the price down to like $20 and still nobody would buy it. And I was like, this wasn't even worth the hassle of like trying to sell it. So I don't think today's games are going to increase in value as time goes on. So I would suggest to you to go all digital. Just let it go. Build yourself a nice little digital collection that you can take with yourself wherever you go. And it doesn't take up any physical space. Our next question comes from Sifted from Charles was here. Hey, Shane. Wondering what it would take for you to pull the trigger on purchasing a Steam Deck. I watch Game Face pretty religiously, and it seemed like your arc has gone from mocking the idea of one to being somewhat interested. What would you say are your pros and cons on the device? Would love to know your in-depth take on it. Love all the work you do. Just want to let you know how much I appreciate all the work you put into the site, and I will always look forward to the incoming content. Okay, Charles, first of all, thank you for the kind words. I really appreciate it any kind words that I get from our patrons or from anybody in all honesty. Sometimes when you're grinding along, it can feel like you're living in a vacuum and online people tend to just want to complain. They very rarely say thank you or compliment you on anything. So thank you very much, Charles. I appreciate it. Um, Also, thank you for getting involved with Ask Chain Anything. I believe this is the first question you've ever asked for the show. Now on to your question about Steam Deck. So first of all, I think you are mischaracterizing my feelings on Steam Deck. Um, I think you're thinking about Matt. Matt has been the one who has been down on Steam Deck all along. I have always thought it was an interesting proposition, and I always thought that it might have a chance to succeed. So I think you're just getting Matt and I confused on this one thing. Um, 
but I still haven't bought a Steam Deck, so your question is still relevant. What would it take to get me over the top to buy a Steam Deck? I don't think anything at this point. Um, I need a new PC. My PC, I built one from scratch when I launched Sifted, and now we're seven, eight years on, and the PC's getting old, and I need to upgrade it. So the question for me becomes, do I buy a Steam Deck? And I'll admit this, a Steam Deck will have higher performance than the PC that I'm using right now. So I could upgrade by buying a Steam Deck, but I'm not gonna do that. If I'm gonna have a desktop PC, I'm gonna have a decent desktop PC. And not that Steam Deck isn't decent, but you know what I mean. I want something that's that's gonna make the games look damn good. So, and again, Steam Deck doesn't make games look bad or anything like that. But if again, if I'm gonna invest a ton of money, I'm just gonna invest the extra money to get a great desktop. So I don't think there's anything that Steam Deck could do to get me to buy one other than drastically lowering the price. Like if it gets to the point where it's $200 or $250, like somewhere in the, the same price range as the Switch, that's when maybe I would start considering buying one. I just, I don't fly as much as I used to when I used to be, when I first started in the industry rather, um, I flew a lot. I was always traveling all over the place to go check out games and stuff like that. One, those events just don't happen as often as they used to. And two, we're so small that we don't get really get invited to them anymore. So I don't travel anywhere as much as I used to. Um, so that's one use where I would put it, you know, that's one case where I would put Steam Deck to use that just won't, won't work for me. And then it becomes a question of, would I rather play this PC game or would I rather take my Switch and play this Nintendo game? Like, I just, the problem is I just don't see myself using it. Do I think it's a great deal? Do I think you're getting a great kit of hardware for the amount of money that you're spending on it? Absolutely. In, in all honesty, a lot of people out there who aren't that demanding of their PCs, I could see somebody getting a Steam Deck and being completely happy with their performance. Literally, just plug it into a monitor and that's your new PC. I understand that there are some people out there that were that's plenty good enough. And I understand that and I think it's a great point in favor of Steam Deck. But for me, I probably would just take my Switch anyway. I still have an aversion to PC gaming in general. Matt and I have talked about this a couple times on Game Face where it's like you go to play a game and like you have to download the driver and then like the stuff doesn't work right and you have to go to Google and start searching. I don't want to do that. Like it's a pain in the ass and it's not worth it to me anymore. So I would probably take my Switch traveling anyway. So the only way I would ever own a Steam Deck is if the price hit rock bottom. And it was just like a no-brainer purchase where I wouldn't even feel bad if I didn't use it all that often. Our next question for today's show comes from Toast9. You've mentioned before you were in a hardcore band when you were younger. What hardcore bands influenced you growing up? What do you think were the most influential bands in the hardcore scene? Thoughts on the SXE movement? Any recommendations to new listeners? Yes, I was absolutely a part of the punk and hardcore scene on the East Coast from 19, like really into it from 1985 or 86 until probably like 1993 or 94. Um, I was in two hardcore bands, actually. The first band I was in, I started in high school or we started in high school. It was a band called Sprocket and we were... We all were really into the DC sound. So Fugazi, Rites of Spring, Jawbox, all those bands from the DC scene, we were into all of those. And so our band sounded a good bit like Fugazi, but faster and harder maybe. We were a little more traditional hardcore than Fugazi was. Fugazi was already kind of straying into this almost like 
prout rock, mod rock thing at that point. Um, and then my second band was a band called Killjoy, and we were totally like emo DC sounding stuff. Like, I don't think we had any songs that really had a hardcore quote unquote beat to them. Um, our, the tempo of our songs had slowed down drastically. So, um, and not just that, I was just going to shows all over the East Coast. We would go down to D.C. and see Fugazi and all those bands all the time. we go to New York City, go to CBGB. we go to New Jersey, go to City Gardens. We were all, we would travel in packs to go to hardcore and punk shows back in the day. So I was really into it. So if you're asking me, what were the most influential bands? It's really hard for me to pinpoint them. I was never really a fan of West Coast punk. Um, it was always a little more melodic, a little cheesier, I would argue, not as serious. Now, Social Distortion, their original incantation before they came like Rockabilly, I liked Mommy's Little Monster. That was one of the first really good punk albums that I got that I listened to incessantly, and I can still listen to it today. Hour of Darkness, still an amazing song. Um, but a lot of the other West Coast stuff, I never really got into. I never really liked all or any of those kind of groups. I was into New York City hardcore, straight edge hardcore, and DC stuff for the most part. So I see you asked about, I think you're asking about SXE, straight edge hardcore. That's be my guess. Um, I was straight edge. And so you talk about influences. A big influence for me was Minor Threat and Ian Mackay. From, you know, he went from there, and then he went on to Embrace, and then he went on to Fugazi, and now he has his new band called Koriki. I've always been a fan of whatever Ian Mackay is doing. He's been a huge influence in my life. But if there's one hardcore band that I liked more than any other, it was Misfits. There's just, <laughs> to me, there's like punk and hardcore, and then there's Misfits. And I realized that, like, they've been played out because everyone wears the Crimson Ghost Skull t-shirts and Metallica made them mainstream. I don't care about any of that. I don't care who's listening, who else is listening to it. The Misfits are the best hardcore band ever. I don't think it's even close. They have, like, 50 songs that all last, like, 90 seconds or two minutes or whatever. Every single one of them is crit, is catchy AF.
they wrote the best songs. Glenn Danzig wrote the best songs in hardcore. No doubt about it. Now, you can say what you want about their whole horror shtick and, you know, their look and how they dress on stage. They're a little bit like Kiss or whatever. I don't really care about that. I really just think that their songs are just freaking amazing and the best in hardcore. I, I know the words to every Misfit song. Every one. And there's actually like 70 or 80 Misfit songs. And they were only together for like four years. It's pretty crazy. So none of my bands actually sounded like Misfits. I don't think anyone ever has. And that's, again, why they're so much better than everybody else. Because there was nobody like them. None of their, Nobody wrote about the stuff that they wrote about. No, no one's guitars sounded like Misfits. They were their own thing. And that's why I believe they are the greatest hardcore band of all time. All right. Our last question for today's episode comes from Mountain Lifter. Having recently played the Dead Space remake, I have been thinking about religion. Dead Space, in my opinion, is the only game I can think of that is a fully fictional but believable religion. There are usually religious characters or staunch cult members in games, but not a whole fleshed out religion. Are there other examples that you know of? Do you think games could or should explore more sensitive topics like religion if they want to be considered art? Have you ever been religious or were you raised religious? Okay, so I just finished Resident Evil 4 Remake. <laughs> and... Having not really played it since like 2005, um, a lot of things came back while playing it that I had kind of forgotten about. And one of the things I really liked about Resident Evil 4 compared to other Resident Evil games is that it was more about the supernatural and the occult instead of biology. Don't get me wrong. Ultimately, the Las Plagas is a biological whatever. And so... They do kind of go back to the traditional Ari storytelling ultimately, but Sadler and his whole cult, they don't think that it's some bio lab thing. They think that it's some divine thing from God or whatever. And so as I was playing the RE4 remake, a lot of reminders of some of that stuff started coming back up. I was like, oh, that's right. That's why I like this. And in general... I like the Resident Evil games that concentrate on the occult and the supernatural versus the T-virus or the G-virus or whatever. And again, RE4 ultimately does include that stuff when you get down to the nitty-gritty of it. But the bulk of playing the game, you're basically fighting against a cult. Um, let's see, there was... Uh, Far Cry. There was the Far Cry where you're fighting against Joseph Appleseed and his cult. Although that was that was actually a unique religion. They weren't really following following Christianity there. So yeah, there's look, there are games that have religion in them. Um, even going back to like the Super Nintendo, some of the more controversial games were the games that focused on religion as well. So I think most games stay away from it because they fear that they may cut off a certain portion of their audience by handling religion in one way or another. And honestly. Business-wise, it probably makes sense. Um, these are big bets, these games. You're talking about a game that costs $100 million or more to make. Are you really just going to cut off half of the potential audience right out of the gate because it's about controversial whatever? I'll say this. I admire the publishers that go forward with it because it is taking a huge risk. So I do kind of understand why religion isn't a bigger thing in video games. Now you're asking me, um, have I was I religious? Was I raised religious? It's complicated. <laughs> so... My parents, my mom was a hippie, my dad was a biker, and so I was not raised in religion. The first four or five years of my life, I never went to church, even though the fact that my grandparents were hardcore religious nuts, in all honesty. Now, my mom's side, they were Catholic and more secular. The grandparents on my dad's side, they were hardcore, man. Like, they... 
I, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to embellish. They were hardcore Christians. So I had influence there, but my parents basically shirked that and were like, no. Well, my parents got divorced and my mom decided that she, I don't know, she blamed the divorce on herself. I don't know. I'm not going to go into a lot of details there either. But shortly after my parents were divorced, she became born again. Now, keep in mind that my mom before this had been what she thought was a witch. She was reading like tarot cards. In fact, when my parents split up, I remember as a kid, like the last few months before they split up, I was going to people's houses who I didn't know. And I remember my mom would sit down on the floor cross-legged and would dial, would dial these cards out and like talk to, I didn't know what was going on. I was like four. But as it turns out, she was reading tarot cards, and people thought she was good at it, so they would have her come over and read tarot cards. Well, apparently, she was indoctrinated as a young person. She was raised in the Catholic Church, and I think eventually it got the best of her, and she's like, oh my God, I'm going to hell, and so she became born again. And then, ultimately, I did end up moving back with her, and one of the deals was, if I moved back with her, I had to agree to go to church until I was 18 years old. And so for my sophomore, junior, and senior year of high school, I had to go to church two days a week. I had to go to church on Sunday, and I had to go to youth group on Tuesday or Wednesday. I can't remember which day it was. And the day I turned 18, I never went back. I am a live and let live guy. So as long as you're doing something that isn't hurting anyone else, I really don't give a crap what you're doing. But Mountain Lifter asked me the question, and I answered it. So thanks again to everyone who's pledging at $7 or more per month. Without you guys, this show wouldn't happen. Thanks to everybody who watches the show and all of our patrons. I appreciate every single one of you. We'll see you next time.